Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Osawa continues our series of messages on the book of Acts. Today, looking at Acts chapter 10. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you to Dave and Becky and Hannah and Ryan for turning our hearts and our minds to the Lord Jesus this morning. Indeed, as we're singing, it's just so amazing to be able to bask in His grace and His goodness to us and to sing of that and just reflect even in song on His life and how He gave it for us and how He conquered death for us. So amazing. We're going to resume our study in the book of Acts this morning. And if you have a Bible with me, please turn to Acts chapter 10. Sorry, I should note, uh, if I sit down later, it's because in, as I age, I'm getting a little careless in what I do and I banged up my knees. So I'm going to see how it feels to, to stand for most of the time. A couple of weeks ago, David Hook talked about Saul's conversion and how God changed his mind and his understanding of Jesus. And this resulted not only in a change to Paul, but how he sought to follow God and to honor God in his life. He mentioned that all of us experience things that challenge our understanding of things at times. Sorry, we're trying a new uh, remote. There we go. Thank you. So, the really short version this morning, we're going to see how God changed Peter's mind about a long-held view about people, namely the Gentiles. And the gospel message isn't just for the Jewish people. It's available for people of all nations. Barriers to the gospel have been removed. People don't need to follow all of the Jewish customs to become Christians. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pause and just thank you and marvel at your grace and your love. The love that sent Jesus to the cross for ones like us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit and just pray that through your spirit you would guide my words, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would have us learn and apply this day. And as we do so, may we bring you honor and glory. And we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So our passage this morning begins with a man named Cornelius and a vision that he saw one day. So a bit of context, Caesarea was predominantly a Roman city on the coast and the Roman governor lived there in Caesarea and it was from here that they governed Judea. And the military was there to help keep the peace and prevent uprisings. A cohort would have had about 600 men, possibly more in a remote place like this. And a centurion or as a centurion, Cornelius would have been in charge of 100 men. 
And apparently they were fairly well paid compared to the soldiers, so he had a bit of stature in the community. We're told that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God. He was a God-fearer. Sorry, I'm trying to resist playing with the technology and trying to know it. He rejected the gods others worshipped and he looked to the God of Israel. He gave alms or gifts to the poor and he prayed continually. Two traits that showed his devotion to God. We're also told that his household also feared God. And Cornelius was likely connected to a synagogue. However, it's unlikely that he became a Jew, so to speak. He was probably uncircumcised and didn't follow all of the Jewish customs and regulations, such as those related to food. Now, Jewish believers appreciated those who feared God, but they still wouldn't have them come over to their home, nor would they eat together. Imagine how this would play out in the church if Gentiles were excluded from fellowship. Now, Cornelius was praying about the ninth hour, or at the ninth hour, about three o'clock, when he sees clearly in a vision an angel of God. He's terrified. People didn't encounter God and expect to live in those days. However, he's told that his prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. This would be similar to how sacrifices were given as a memorial in the Old Testament. Then the angel tells him to send men to Joppa to get Simon, who's also called Peter. And Peter's lodging with another Simon, one who's a tanner, whose house is by the sea. You may recall, if you heard last week, that Peter noted a tanner would have been considered unclean most of the time because he was always in contact with the dead animals. And a good Jew probably never would have stayed with a tanner because he too would become ritually unclean. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius sends three, and I'll add trustworthy, people to get Peter. And it's possible that the devout soldier was also a God-fearer. Perhaps all three were. Caesarea was about 50 kilometers north of Joppa. The roads were a little rougher than what we're used to here in Timmins, believe it or not. And the speed limit was also a bit slower. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So houses in those days had flat roofs that people could access. Some had awnings over top of them to provide shade. And it's noon and Peter's hunger distracts him from his prayers. As he often does, God uses the situation to get Peter's attention. As he often does, he uses situations to get our attention. Now, some have speculated that the sheet that he saw descending was kind of like the awning. Others have noted that 
the word is similar to sail on a fishing vessel and they're on the Mediterranean. But regardless, he saw that sheet descending. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So food that was considered common or unholy may have included animals which were shared or animals which were not bled properly or which had died of themselves. And then we also have food that was considered unclean. And God had previously told Moses and Aaron what was to be considered clean and what could be eaten. Animals could be eaten if they had parted hooves and chewed the cud. So no pork allowed. A few years ago, we had the privilege of going to Israel. And one of the first things that hit me when we got back to a hotel in Toronto was the smell of bacon. <laughs> you walked in and it just hits you. If you're like me, you kind of start salivating, you're hungry and off we go. And fish could be eaten if they had fins and scales. Only some birds and some insects could be eaten. The rest would be considered as unclean or detestable. And you can read more about this in Leviticus chapter 11 uh, and Deuteronomy 14 if you're so inclined. So just as people were careful about common or unholy and unclean foods, people also avoided those people who were considered common or unclean. Now, Peter is an interesting character, isn't he? He certainly loved Jesus, and he certainly wanted to follow him. But like us, I would suggest, sometimes he didn't quite understand what God was trying to tell him. He didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. He denied knowing Jesus three times when Jesus was taken to be crucified. After his resurrection, Jesus told Peter to feed my lambs. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, three times. Here he says, no, Lord, three times, when the voice told him to kill and eat. And he was told three times, what God has made clean, do not make common. Perhaps he thought he was being tested to see if he would obey that command regarding clean and unclean foods, the one he had learned from an early age. As we're told in verse 17, he was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision might have meant, might mean. And then, again, three men come to get him. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you're for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. 
So he invited them in to be his guests. So Peter hears what these men have to say. And it must have been a real shock for him to hear that a holy angel had given the Gentiles his message. And then he invites them into his house. And that was a real no-no in Jewish culture. Jews and Gentiles did not get along, to put it mildly. And inviting them to be guests in the house probably meant sharing a meal with them. Sharing a meal was really important in those days. It signified a bond and a willingness to work together. And it was important for building and signifying relationships. Some of the folks that I used to work with in Hearst had a saying. They said, if we don't eat, we don't meet. In this case, though, you had to eat with the right people. No Gentiles allowed. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. So in normal circumstances, you'd never have a centurion bowing down to a Jewish person. But strange things happen when God's in control, don't they? Peter rightly doesn't accept the worship of this man. He notes that he too is a man. The only one we should bow down to worship, the the one that we should love the most, is the Lord himself. As strange as this may sound, our love for the Lord should surpass even that for our spouses, for our fiancés, for boyfriends, girlfriends, and for other members of our family. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter was told to kill and eat. And it's clear that some of the animals in the sheep were considered to be unclean. He realizes that not only is God talking about food, he's talking about people. And clearly, that is the case. God is changing Peter's mind about the Gentiles. Some believe that this means the command to kill and eat whatever were considered unclean animals, therefore, is not the real message Peter was given, but it's only about associating with people who were previously considered common or unclean. In other words, some feel that the dietary restrictions still apply. I would suggest that both are intended here, and I'm going to add one caveat. There are no restrictions on what you eat in terms of the unclean animals. Uh, As we'll see in Acts chapter 15, uh, the ones that were common, I think, Probably, or the message in Acts 15 is to stay away from some uh, some things. For example, 
being polluted by idols, animals that are strangled or that have the blood in them, which seems to be more in line with those that are considered common. But generally, no restrictions. Likewise, for those with whom you associate. Now, this doesn't mean that discretion or self-control goes out the window. There is such thing as too much of a good thing, right? For example, you don't hear about anyone living to 100 years old having ate a pound of bacon every day. A few years ago, similarly, reaching out to people doesn't mean that it's okay to adopt their habits if they aren't honoring to the Lord. So Peter may very well have declined that invitation to go to Cornelius prior to his vision. But now that his mind has been changed, he went. God has shown him that nothing should stand in the way of reaching the Gentiles. Cornelius then tells Peter about his encounter with God and how he is told to send for Peter and even he was even told where to find him. Then he notes, So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Many people joined Cornelius to hear Peter's message. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The expectation up to this time is that a Gentile would have to convert to be a Jewish citizen in order to be accepted. And so the church, at the start of the church, was all Jewish people, and now you're starting to see the Gentiles coming into the church. However, God is correcting that thinking. Now we've already noted that Cornelius was a God-fearer. So he, as such, he had rejected other so-called gods and prayed to the God who revealed himself and watched over the Jewish people. The angel told Cornelius that his prayers had been heard and his alms remembered before God. His actions showed that his heart was in the right place. He was acceptable to God. In saying this, Peter notes that God's favor is available to Gentiles as well as Jews. I don't think Cornelius fully understood who this God was, though. As Peter will note, they knew some things about Jesus. So Cornelius was really close, but not quite there yet. Being acceptable does not equate to being saved. In the next chapter, we're told that they will be saved through Peter's message. Peter then goes on to tell them about Jesus. Peter and others were witnesses to what happened and were commanded to preach to the people. So, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 36. And we'll just look at a few things about Jesus then about the witnesses from verses 36 to 43. So, in those verses, what do we see about Jesus? As for the word they sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Where's the light? Oh, okay, forget that. <laughs> they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. And he ate and drank with witnesses after he rose from the dead. He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So what do those verses say about Peter and the other witnesses? You yourself, or um, Peter had mentioned earlier, you yourselves, talking about Cornelius now this, know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with from beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. And he says, And we are witnesses of all that he did, that is Jesus, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but those who had been chosen by God as witnesses, including Peter. And they ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded them to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Cornelius was a good man, wasn't he? But that in itself isn't good enough. So Peter clarified who Jesus was and noted that it's through belief in Jesus that forgiveness of sins is granted. It's through the name of Jesus, the one who God has appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. God's Spirit dwells within those who put their trust in Jesus. Although it doesn't say so in our passage, I'm going to make the bold assumption that the people understood Peter's message and they realized who Jesus is and they put their belief in him while Peter was speaking. As it happened at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on the believers and they spoke in tongues. The difference here was this time the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles. The Jewish believers were amazed. They heard Peter saying that he should not call any person uncommon, common or unclean, and now they themselves saw God's acceptance of Gentile believers. It's clear evidence that the gospel is available to all people. Now I noted earlier, the expectation at this time is that a Gentile would have to convert 
and be like a Jew prior to be considered saved. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, doesn't tell us that Cornelius and other Jews became say, or went through any any rituals or any process, uh, one of which was, would have been cir- circumcision, prior to the Holy Spirit falling on them, prior to them being saved. And I don't think he purposely left that out of the narrative. Although this became an issue for many Jewish believers, God did not make circumcision, following dietary restrictions, or sacrifices prerequisites for the Gentiles to become part of the new church. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So the new believers were then baptized. As some of us were reminded a few weeks ago, baptism is a public profession of one's faith and one's trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's a step of obedience as we seek to honor God in our lives. As a side, if there's anyone who would like to be baptized, please see one of the elders. We aren't sure exactly how many days Peter spent with the new believers, but we can certainly assume that he ate with them. Again, God had removed that barriers between Jews and Gentiles being in fellowship with each other. It was time to start incorporating the change into daily life. And I think it's fair to assume that Peter used this time to teach the new believers and help them get grounded in the faith, so to speak. So, quick recap. Cornelius was Gentile who feared God, and his actions showed that he sought to and honored God. He was one of those referred to as God-fearers, Gentiles who rejected the so-called gods of other nations and feared the God of Israel. God himself revealed God revealed himself to Cornelius, who then sent three men to get Peter and hear what God had commanded him. We know that Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was there when Jesus was crucified, when he rose again, and was following God's command to preach and testify who Jesus was. Yet even he needed some guidance. Peter was told three times in a vision that what God has made clean do not make common. Sorry, do not call common. He realized that God was talking about the Gentiles and followed God's direction to go and meet with Cornelius. Peter explained who Jesus was and as Cornelius and those with him believed, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized and asked Peter to stay with them for a while. There are many in this world who know there's a God out there and want to know this God. The one true God is unique, isn't he? He's a triune God. He's three in one. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see his grace and love for us in our passage this morning. The one who anointed his Son, Jesus of Nazareth, to live on this earth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus was put to death on a tree, on a cross. But God raised him from the dead. The tomb or the grave is empty. Jesus rose in bodily form and he will judge the living and the dead. 
Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And I'd be happy to discuss this further with anyone if you have any questions on it. So God changed Peter's mind and attitudes towards Gentiles. He broke down that wall between them. God's acceptance is available to people of all nations, right? So God, for God so loved the Jewish world. No. For God so loved Asia Minor. No. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So what are some of the implications for us Just as Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius, he's essentially done the same with us through our passage this morning. So the first question I would have for you is this. Do we believe? Have we put our trust in Jesus? Is he Savior and Lord of your life? Do we have our own version of those who are clean and unclean? Has the Holy Spirit been nudging you to share the good news with someone? I would guess that he often does in a quiet way, although there may be times when the message comes across as it did to Peter. Peter made it a priority to do what God asked of him. We we aren't told what Peter had on his to-do list the day that Cornelius Cornelius' servant showed up. But we know that he turned around and He welcomed them and he obeyed and he went to go see Cornelius the next day. Are we willing to set things aside when God asks something of us? Or are we more likely to say, by no means, Lord? I trust God will continue to work in our minds, in our lives, to draw us and others closer to him through his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we honor him in our lives. And I'll ask Dave if he would close in prayer. Heavenly Father, how great and wonderful and gracious you are. Your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. You just did not want one people, one family from the lineage of Abraham, but you said that we who believe are of the seed of Abraham. And so we too are included in your Son. We are in Jesus. And we thank you again that we are in your family. Lord, separate us with your blessing and your peace. Help us to walk as your people this week. And as we do so, may our talk, may our love, and may the reflection of your Son be evidenced that Jesus may be Lord of all. And we give you our thanks in his name. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.